Hello and welcome to Baylor Connections, a conversation series with the people shaping our future. Each week we go in depth with Baylor leaders, professors, and more discussing important topics in higher education, research, and student life. I'm Derek Smith, and today we are talking time disorientation with two leaders in the Baylor Religion Surveys. We're visiting with Dr. Paul Froze and Dr. Matthew Anderson. Paul Froze serves as Professor of Sociology and the Director of the Baylor Religion Surveys, one of the most extensive national surveys of American religious beliefs, values, and behaviors. His research interests include the sociology of meaning, religion, ideology, and more. Matthew Anderson researches health inequality, and his work is focused on health behaviors, chronic disease, social networks, parenthood caregiving, public attitudes towards mental health illness, and much more. Some complementary skills that you both uh, bring into this topic of time disorientation and the Baylor Religion Survey as well. Dr. Froze, Dr. Anderson, thanks so much for taking the time to share with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's it's great to have you here. And I, I have a feeling as we talk about time disorientation, there's going to be a lot of people nodding their heads or realizing that there's a name for something they've uh, they've been feeling in recent years. But before we really dive into that, you all have very multifaceted research backgrounds. Dr. Froze, I'll, I'll start with you. If we were to look at some of your more recent research topics or common themes, where are some of the places we would find those interests taking you? I think, in, I mean, I'm known as kind of a sociologist of religion. And I think within that, I'm kind of interested in ideology. So kind of belief systems. And so I'm really looking at belief systems and um, how they affect behavior. Well, for me, um, I consider myself a sociologist of health. So most of my research is taking me in the direction of just trying to understand where inequalities in health come from, just why some people end up healthier than others. And uh, the approach I take to that really depends on the data source I'm using. You know, Dr. Anderson, you, I think you just kind of answered the next question I was going to ask you, but ask you specifically, and then you as well, Dr. Froze, the questions or problems that compel your work, the things that, you know, keep you up at night if you start thinking about them. What, what are some of those things in your academic work? I've been preoccupied with this idea of, of dignity, actually. So for the past couple of years, I put together and and, and finished a book related to what we called the science of dignity. And for me, the big puzzle there, which probably did lead to a couple of nights of um, less than optimal sleep was, um, can we measure dignity in a way that um, allows us to understand where it comes from and what it means to people? And so thanks to the Baylor Religion Survey, which, you know, Dr. Froze administers, we were able to look at both things at once. We were able to really look at who feels they have dignity within their lives and just where does it come from? And so we were able to discover for the first time that dignity is rooted in um, a, a few things. It's it's rooted in feeling respected by others. It's It's rooted in the close relationships that people have and whether they feel they can be authentic within those relationships. And it's also just rooted in having basic resources for living, such as um, financial security, food security, but also education and income really help. And other than that, people want to feel in control of their lives, a sense of control. 
Um, they want to um, feel a sense of mattering to other people and, and that their life is meaningful. And if you put all of those ingredients together, we found using the Baylor Religion Survey that, that those are the most dignified lives, the ones that have those ingredients. So, so, so that was kind of my challenge uh, most recently. Well, it, you know, it's interesting because that, that overlaps really with many things that I'm interested in. I guess that's why Matt and I are collaborating. Yeah. Um, but one of the one of the struggles I've had in, in my research career is a few years ago, I wrote a book on purpose. And so I, and kind of following up with what Matt said about meaning, I was very interested in how people construct meaning, in particular, how they think about the purpose of their lives. Um, and in doing that research, it was um, it was very interesting, but it also kind of made me question my own purpose in a way, um, in a way that I wasn't expecting when I was doing the research. Um, so that was kind of challenging. Um, but in conducting that research, I discovered a lot of things. And in fact, some of the things I discovered is going to lead to our topic today, time. Um, in looking at kind of how people find their purpose in life, you know, clearly religion tends to play a big role for a lot of people. It kind of gives them a meaning structure. Um, family and relationships are also incredibly important, right? They give people meaning, give people a reason to get up in the morning. And then, of course, career. And so I I would look at survey data and I do interviews and kind of pursue this thing. And then what I realized was in doing interviews, an answer that came up a lot is, well, I don't really think about my purpose because I don't have time. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, yeah. right? That you don't have time to think about kind of what the meaning of your life is. And that then got me into the sociology of time, which is all about how our modern world is speeding up and it's rushing. And so maybe we're so caught up in the pace of life, we actually can never just have a moment to sit and look at it and think about it. Well, I'm guessing a lot of us can relate to that on some level, either short-term or, or long-term, as we visit with Paul Froze and Matthew Anderson from Baylor Sociology. And, well, you just said it kind of came from the Baylor Religion Survey. So this topic of time disorientation, uh, when and how did this first uh, kind of rise to the level of something you wanted to look into further? When we were developing the, the last wave of the survey, something funny happened is that right before it was going to be administered, I realized that we had space on the survey that I didn't realize we had. And because I just written this chapter about time in this book, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to have some time, you know, variable, some questions about time in that. And so I immediately thought of Matt Anderson. And so I contacted him and then together we came up with a very quickly kind of a battery of of questions um about how people felt about time absolutely so i think you know like paul said his 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 own book project was really formative in in bringing us to that interest in the first place and then um beyond that um i was really pleased at how contrary to a lot of other very popular surveys. So for example, the American Time Use Survey, where they ask people in detail about, to itemize their days essentially to say, well, how much time do you spend doing housework? How much time do you spend at your job? How much time do you spend with childcare? Those kind of get at the um, nitty gritty of how people spend their days, but they don't get at how people actually 
feel about time, their relationship with time. Like, like, like Paul was saying, you know, do people, how, not just how rushed do they feel, but do they just feel like, um, that time is out of their hands or they can't quite, um, they can't quite sync up with life. Right. And so, part of the contribution of what we're doing and what, what Paul was really pushing us to do is to put multiple items on there because the American time use survey only asks whether people feel rushed or pressed and they stop there. And so if we had not come up with the idea of multiple items, we never would have discovered this um, concept of time disorientation. Um, not at, not at the, not at the level that we were able to characterize it. So yeah. And part of this kind of multiple, this idea of multiple different types of time disorientation. And, and when we say time disorientation, what we mean is that people tend to have a sense of how time should pass. Yes. And when it's not passing yeah. that way, they feel disoriented. And so, and we've all had that experience, right? You're having a really good time. You're like, wow, an hour went by already. I didn't realize that. Or you're super bored and you're like, well, this is taking forever. And so people are very conscious of this kind of idea of like, well, time's not passing in the way that I'm kind of expecting it to. And so our questions are, are really tapping into that. And, and as Matt just said, one of the innovations was a lot of the time literature is focused on how rushed we feel. And that is totally Which makes true. perfect sense, right? Totally, in the modern era. Exactly, but, yeah. But then I thought, especially during the pandemic, because this is when we were creating this survey, you know, we started thinking about boredom, right? You're sitting around, you're in your house. Well, maybe time's passing really slowly. Events so, are canceled and yeah. Exactly. And so then we thought, well, we should ask about that too. And then the, then the kind of the third innovation was also maybe people are disoriented of where they are kind of in the week. Like, you know, is it Tuesday today or is it Saturday or I don't know what it is. And yeah. so we asked about, did time seem to blend? Are they unable to kind of figure out where they are in the month, where they are in the week? And so we kind of asked about all these different forms of disorientation. Yeah. So I think the bottom line is we just really discovered how people's sense of time is 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 tethered to the routines that they keep. And if you disrupt those routines, you're going to disrupt people's sense of time as well. So I've realized as we kind of get at the heart of what it is and what it isn't, I realized that sometime in the last few years, I hit an age where if I say something that happened a couple of years ago, it might literally be two, it might be nine or 10. I would probably all dealt with that, right? Or you hear, you know, people, our kids are growing up so fast, or I can't believe that was five years ago now, or what have you. I think as we talk, that's not what you're talking about, is it? Though, or, or is it? What, what, what kind of what is what is it? Time disorientation as we talk about this on the rest of the show. Thank you so much for that follow up. So I just want to quickly build on what Paul said. So time disorientation is is is, is really interesting because it's not literally about the number of calendar months or the number of minutes that have clicked by on the hand of a clock or something. It's 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 almost about like Paul said how how we feel time should be passing because some people expect to live a rushed life and if you put 10 different appointments in their day they wouldn't feel rushed because that's what they want but like paul said people have an internal sense of how they think time should go and it's different for everyone um and because of that we need to ask people directly do you feel like life is rushing by do you feel like 
life is too slow because that'll mean something slightly different depending on how people are brought up, the context that they're in, their personality and so forth. And then I think part of the whole thing of disorientation is, and, and may, maybe this is where your question's coming from, Derek, is like, like what exactly are we measuring here? Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah. part of the research we were doing is that we know people have these perceptions of either things going slow or fast or blended. Yeah. What's the meaning of them? And in this paper, what, what we show is they're connected to uh, mental health outcomes, right? And so the more disoriented you feel, the more likely you're maybe anxious, maybe you're depressed, you know, maybe you're lonely. And so we're kind of linking this disorientation of time to other measures of mental health. This is Baylor Connections. We are visiting with Paul Froese, professor of sociology, and Matthew Anderson, associate professor of sociology, talking time disorientation. And there's another element that's interesting. I know certainly one I think a lot of people can uh, can relate to as well. About four years ago at this time, we were in the uh, final weeks of the buildup to the shutdowns around COVID-19 and its uh, disruptions on, on, on you know daily life. So I'm curious uh, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's other disruptions, what impact can disruptions have on, on time disorientation? Because I, I'm just making a connection where maybe there isn't one, but we hear a lot of talk about mental health and the challenges people have felt during and after COVID-19 and the pandemic. And just wonder how much is there how much of a relationship there might be be there or how much they all just kind of play a role, a piece of the pie, if you will. Yeah. Thank you for that question, Derek. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Then I want to hand it to Paul right away. But so one of the. As we were drafting this study we realized um, as we were going along that we just need to, like you said, Dick, we basically need to look specifically at sources of stress during the pandemic. We need to measure those and we need to see how are those related to people's sense of time. And what we discovered is that when people were working from home or when they had severe conflict at home or financial hardship during the pandemic or when they were homeschooling a child, just all these stressors that we associate with the pandemic, they were more likely to experience time disruption. And, and so how big is that effect, right? Well, um, you can compare that to the, the number of hours that they work. You can compare that to their age. You can compare that to their income level. It rivals all of those, which are the leading explanations for people's sense of time. So, so specific pandemic stress is um, just as important. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very interesting that you brought that up, Matt, in, in that we've, we tend to think of in normal times, let's put it this way, um, time disorientation is related to stratification. In other words, inequality in our society is that uh, people with less bear the burden of a lot of things in our society. Um, but what Matt just said is our findings, which our data was collected during the pandemic, it shows that COVID-related stressors overwhelm those other things that usually predict time disorientations. So there was something, and this should, I guess, be obvious to, to all of us who've lived through the pandemic, that the pandemic was very severe and it really changed um, our culture, 
how we understand things, how we live our lives, and in our case, in this research, how we understood time. You know, so you'll hear people being self-critical sometimes, thinking, oh, I can't believe, or I just can't seem to get back on track, time moving like it feels like it's moving so fast. What I hear maybe is on some level, maybe they shouldn't be quite so hard on themselves because that's a normal, that's a uh, that, that that's an understandable reaction. But as we think about some of the, the these factors, are there elements of this that you learned that can be helpful to people that they can think about even just being aware of time disorientation and what it is and maybe trying to reverse engineer what healthy time orientation looks like? So absolutely. We were trying to walk away from this research um, with, first of all, just an understanding of what are the larger factors beyond individual lives that are shaping our experience of time, because certainly I think it's right that people will sometimes blame themselves for not being able to keep a schedule or keep the pace that they want. But clearly we were seeing that um, the stage that people were at in life in terms of their age, in terms of taking care of children, in terms of confronting stress that, like Paul said, like most people were confronting. These are far bigger and more powerful explanations than anyone's time management skills. I mean, so so that was a very important conclusion of our research. Um, and then, yeah, you know, like we're saying, so so what do we do about it? And I think that what to do about it is is going to in some ways follow from what we found, but in, in other ways, we may need to be more innovative beyond that. I think from what we found, it's clear that just naturally some of this disorientation is going to dissipate as the pandemic dissipates, right? Um, but um, our hope is also that by recognizing the larger social processes at play, um, people might be able to... Um, form a new relationship to how they think about time, in other words, beyond just a personal schedule. So I, I think part of the intervention here, if we want to think about it that way, might just be I'm um, kind of getting the knowledge out there about, well, how do people really think about time? And and because because how people think about time is as important as the literal number of hours they work or literally how busy they are I think some of this just might come down to mindset and changing mindset. Riffing off of that is this, I mean, one of the problems, well, that us as sociologists always face is that we're always looking at these kind of larger macro kind of phenomenon and then seeing how they affect individuals. And so when you kind of ask for solutions, it's like, well, I, I can't rule the world and change everything. Yeah, um, sure. But kind of, like Matt said, maybe the individual being kind of realizing um, that they don't have control over this stuff, um, that it is quite normal to feel rushed, especially in the modern world, um, and that that's not that's not their fault. Um, it, like if you look at the, the kind of the history of the sociology of time, one of the I think the insights is not only that with modernity, time feels like it's sped up, right? We have so many more things to do and take care of, and it kind of gets overwhelming. Um, and that time is becomes completely mechanized, right? Like with, with now we all have clocks 
and watches. And so we're all based, our whole sense of time is based on a mechanized system that we've invented. Whereas when you think about, let's say 500 years ago, how did people live? They lived to the seasons, to the rhythm of the day, right? Their lives were in kind of rhythms to the natural world. We've as humans separated ourselves from the natural world, right? Now we sit in air conditioned and heating comfort with clocks ticking next to us. That's a very different kind of life and world than humans evolved to live in. And so, you know, kind of a theme that goes throughout sociology is modernity is tough on the humans. And so we're all just struggling to figure out how to keep surviving. Fascinating. <laughs> no, pre appreciate those insights. And I, I, I will clarify, maybe I should have clarified at the beginning of the question. I'm not asking you to give any medical diagnoses or any <laughs> pure mental health ad advice, but what you said was very interesting about some things you took away from, from, from the survey as we visit with Dr. Paul Froze and Dr. Matthew Anderson. As, as we head into the final couple of minutes, I want to shift gears just a bit because this is just, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, one, one piece of your work. The Baylor Religion Survey has become one of the more anticipated uh, pieces of research that comes out regularly here at Baylor. And I'd like to ask you both in closing, what, what's next for you both? What are some other projects that you're excited about as you look ahead to 2024 or beyond? And Dr. Anderson, I'll start with you. Sure. So for me, it's a couple of things. I think my first um, stream of research that I'm most excited about is just building on, on this Dignity book that I recently finished. So I'm right now looking for ways to essentially extend our understanding of what influences people's uh, dignity. And uh, I, I think most interesting for me on that front would have to be looking into how people engage in um, digital or social social media based forms of interaction. So I am looking at um, how people react to um, the content that they post online. And I, because there's a table in my book where I actually show that there are sizable differences in dignity associated with whether people are negatively influenced by others' comments online. Um, and and I think some of this might be picking up on what we're saying about cancel culture. And so I want to draw some connections there um, with some of the um, difficulties of just our life moving online, because that's something I don't think we, we talk about enough. Um, and then for me, the second stream of research that I'm excited about is, is getting back to um, how it is that social class matters in America. So basically, I study health inequality. And, and one of the main ways I approach that is I look at people's uh, social class. And because that is is important to, to health, even in an affluent society like ours, differences in social class matter because of, of relative rankings and access to resources and, and, and stress and other reasons. And, and so as I return to that topic, I'm trying to bring together um, different understandings of how to measure social class. And, and part of how social class matters seems to be whether people feel like they are looked down on uh, for their financial position or not respected by others on the basis of not earning as much money or, or not attaining as high a level of education as someone else. So that's 
in addition to any hardship they're facing financially or um, other factors that researchers talk about. So, so really revisiting social class and how it matters for health. Outstanding. We'll look forward to that. What about you, Dr. Froze? Yeah. So one of the big themes in the sociology of religion for the last few decades has been secularization, right? Is that we know that church attendance is declining, church affiliation is declining, um, belief kind of is holding, but is maybe slightly declining. So that is always an interesting topic. And, and the Baylor Religion Survey has kind of tracked this trend over the last 20 years. Um, for the next wave, what I'm interested in is there's this sense that, well, if if people are supposedly secularizing, that they're becoming maybe more scientific in their worldviews. But my feeling is that actually people are becoming kind of more magical in their thinking. Uh, you know, we see the rise of conspiracy theories. We see the rise of, you know, kind of weird kind of health cures that aren't, <laughs> you know, mandated by our medical professionals. Like that all suggests to me a kind of a form of magical thinking that isn't like a secular scientific worldview. And so one of the worries is that if you have people who are kind of unmoored from churches, so they're not kind of steeped in traditional theology, and they're not very knowledgeable about science, magic becomes their world. They start to live in a magical world. So that's kind of the topic that I'm interested in pursuing this next wave. Well, that's a uh, that's an interesting preview as we look ahead and we can be looking forward to that. And I appreciate you both taking the time to share today. We'll have to talk to you again about some of these other topics as well. But appreciate you jumping on and this work on time disorientation. And we'll look forward to seeing how people can uh, hopefully people check that out and maybe learn uh, learn more about what they're feeling in their own lives. So thanks for your time today. Cool. Thanks, Derek. Thank you. Great to have you both on. Dr. Paul Froze, Professor of Sociology and Director of the Baylor Religion Surveys, and Matthew Anderson, Associate Professor of Sociology, our guest today on Baylor Connections. I'm Derek Smith. A reminder, you can hear this and other programs online, connections.web.baylor.edu, and you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. Thanks for joining us here on Baylor Connections.